Attention Northwest Arkansas businesses and talent seekers. Introducing Onboard NWA.com, your hyperlocal job board crafted for our unique community. Struggling to find the perfect match for your job openings? Onboard NWA simplifies the hiring process, connecting you with the region's top talent through tailored talent matching solutions. Whether you're an employer seeking expertise or a professional looking for your next opportunity, Onboard NWA is here for you. Discover more at onboardnwa.com and let's build the future of Northwest Arkansas together. Hello, Northwest Arkansas. Randy here, bringing you a quick word from our sponsor, Signature Bank of Arkansas. Since 2005, Signature Bank has been all about empowering our community with local ownership and top-notch banking services. Signature Bank's roots run deep with assets over a billion dollars, and they're right here in your backyard with branches in Bentonville, Rogers, Springdale, Fayetteville, and now including Harrison and Jonesboro. With a growing family of more than 200 teammates, they're ready to serve you with the warmth only a true community bank can offer. And they've got Banco C, the first bilingual bank in Arkansas, to ensure that banking is for everyone. So give Signature Bank a call at 479-684-3700 or visit Signature.Bank online. Mention you heard about them on the I Am Northwest Arkansas podcast for that personal touch. Signature Bank of Arkansas, big on assets, local at heart, and a proud member of the FDIC and an equal housing lender. It's time for another episode of I Am Northwest Arkansas, the podcast covering the intersection of business, culture, entrepreneurship, and life in general here in the Ozarks. Whether you are considering a move to this area or trying to learn more about the place you call home, we've got something special for you. Here's our host, Randy Wilburn. Hey, folks, and welcome to another episode of I Am Northwest Arkansas. I'm your host, Randy Wilburn, and I'm excited to be with you today. I am here with Andrew Gibbs Dabney, and Andrew is the founder of Livson. And Livson is a company that is all about the great outdoors, and they make a pair of pants that are beyond comfortable. And I just got connected with Andrew by somebody else that reached out to me and told me his story and said, you should really have him on the podcast. And I have uh, always looked at for ways to highlight individuals that are here in Northwest Arkansas that are doing some really great things. And, you know, his skill set and ability with his company has gone beyond just Northwest Arkansas. And he's basically taken the world by storm with some of the most comfortable pants known to man. So without further ado, Andrew Dabney, how are you doing today? 
I'm doing good. And thank you for the excellent intro. That was really nice. I appreciate that. <laughs> no, You're good at that. Problem. You've done it before, right? I have. Yeah, this is not my first rodeo. So yes, sir. But I appreciate that. And we're, we're glad to have you here on the podcast. I'd love for you just to, because everybody that listens to this podcast is usually fairly comfortable with getting into understanding who they're listening to. So I would love for you to share with our audience your superhero origin story. How did you end up where you are right now today? Let's see. I guess we can just go through a little abbreviated history here. First of all, I'm from the area for the most part. I was born in New Orleans and uh, and I like to say I moved here when I was two, but I don't think I had much of a choice in it. But my family came here when I was two. And so I've been in Fayetteville and then a little brief stint in Fort Smith and, and grew up in these Ozark Mountains. And that has a lot to do with it, really. A lot to do with where I am now, obviously, but also in the business that I'm in and the in the culture that I, you know, strive to be a part of. So, you know, growing up in Fayetteville was I grew up kind of near downtown near Wilson Park. I spent my waking hours outdoors. You know, I was a kid that got home from school, went out to the park, came home for dinner, went back out, came home for, you know, bedtime. And nowhere in there was I sitting inside. So that my range grew a little bit, I guess, from downtown Fayetteville and or I guess from Wilson Park to downtown Fayetteville to campus to the greater Ozarks and and now kind of anywhere where there's mountains and outdoor recreation around the world and run this country. So you kind of gleaned it from that. But the outdoors have shaped a lot of where I am. Young memories going out camping, college, you know, or high school going out camping with friends doing slightly different activities, but still enjoying the outdoors. Following it through college, getting into to more sports, spent some time as a raft guide out east in, in Tennessee on the Ocoee River, really spent a lot of my recreation time camping, hiking, mountain biking, and, and boating. So I like to go canoeing. And all that has really spilled over into just my general, you know, who I am. It's, it's how I dress. It's, you know, the vocabulary that I use, it's the culture that I research and, and the community that I'm a part of. And I had the opportunity kind of after and during college as I was, as I was changing degrees and going through transition time there to start working at a local apparel company called Fayette Chill. And oh, yes. Fayetteville, some friends of mine had started that. And, you know, I had a little bit of experience working in the University of Arkansas receiving department. So I was, you know, very qualified to come in and be the operations manager. Or, you know, so I was told. So I came in and uh, started working for that company as it was growing and was fortunate enough to be there through a, a pretty, not, what's it, not, not a great, pretty fast growth, lots of learning. So we kind of figured out how to first make t-shirts, then make more complicated clothing, store <laughs> it, ship it, you know, hire people, hire people, you know, build a company culture, open a retail store, all these things that were just really, uh, you know, in retrospect, really educational. I mean, also just the growth and development and maturity and everything of, of a company, which is something really interesting and always uh, always unique as you go through that. And so that process really gave me a lot of the tools to to build the company that I have now to understand you know, the supply chain, how products get made, marketing in this space, but also just blending my views as a consumer, as someone who buys the things that that we were making, you know, more than we were making, you know, a lot longer than I've been making them, seeing what I wanted, see what was missing, and then gathering some of the tools and experience to create the products that I couldn't find and create things that were creating in a way in which I wasn't seeing it done. And so that that process, you know, that experience at JHL can't be understated. And when I left there, I actually spent a little bit of time at a tech company and went to Silicon Valley and pitched and did the whole back end of, of that industry and uh, and hated it. Nothing against tech companies and that thing. It's just the conversations that happen behind the scenes are not the same as they are behind the scenes in the outdoor industry. The kind of people that you know I was hanging out with and doing business with typically weren't the people that I'd want to go hang out and go ride with, you know, go ride a mountain bike or go get a beer with afterwards. And and that's what I missed. And so 
part of it lifestyle design, part of it, you know, circumstance and experience and part of it just who I am, why I'm here now. Yeah. It's almost like you came from one Silicon Valley to another, right? Because I think Northwest Arkansas in its own right has seen the birth of a lot of organizations and companies like yours where people are eschewing the the big cities or the coast to create something and they're doing it right here in, in the heart of the country, right here in Northwest Arkansas and, and other places, of course. But I'd like to lay claim to that as to say that this is going to be the new, as, and it was actually the title of one of my podcast episodes, is, you know, could Northwest Arkansas be the next Silicon Valley? And, you know, I got, I got some people that said, yeah, it's possible. Some people were like, well, we don't want to be like Silicon Valley. I used to live there and we don't want to replicate that here in, in the Ozarks. But I think it would be, I think if it were to happen, it would be in a much more informed way in terms of how these companies would come about. And I think you, your company, what Mo Elliott has done with Fayette Chill, those are great examples of how to embrace the community around you and build something around that. And it feels like that's kind of what you're trying to do. I did have a question for you. How did you, how did you settle on a pair of pants as kind of coming out of the gate that this is the first thing that we're going to create or one of the first things that we're going to create to really kind of share with the world? You know, we really didn't. And so there's an interesting, I guess, story on how we got to that being our, our the part that's that we're most well known for. But I wanted to to touch on that last thing you said just real fast. And that's the that whenever I was gonna start this company and I already lined out the values and the and the principles and the products and the way we were gonna build it, we almost left to do it. My wife and I were looking at going and resettling either in Front Range of Colorado, Boulder, Fort Collins, or somewhere like that, Provo, Utah, Portland, Seattle, you know, kind of all the hot spots that you would think that you'd go to to start an outdoor apparel company. And we weighed a lot of things in pros and cons of, of those areas versus where we're from. And, and the fact that I'm from here was, was almost a negative on the decision making process, right? It's like you want to go experience other things. But, you know, we really decided that Fayetteville was in Northwest Arkansas in general, we may move around within the region a little bit, but was a place that made perfect sense to do what we were doing. And when you layer on that, you know, friends, family, it gets more lucrative, I guess, when you're from here. But then also just what's going on. The current is swimming. Not the river current's going one direction and everybody's swimming with, right? Towards the outdoors and outdoor recreation and mountain bike culture and this quality of life and really kind of this triple bottom line of living, right? That this whole area goes for not just make as much money, but live a great life. So anyway, that figured a lot into it. And I wanted to just give a nod to the area that I love and kind of reinforce what you're talking about. Like we chose to stay here yeah, because of the way that it is. So <laughs> I'll, call it, I'll answer the question you actually asked. No, that's fine. Actually, I appreciate you expanding upon that because I didn't give you a chance to respond. And that's just kind of the interviewer in me. So I do apologize about that. But I appreciate you expanding upon that thought because I think it's important for people to hear that individuals like yourself and others are deciding to lay, put their stakes down right here in Northwest Arkansas to build something. And we don't know where your company is going to go. I mean, you could end up on Wall Street for all we know. But I mean, the bottom line is that your humble beginnings are right here in Northwest Arkansas. And that's, you know, there's something to be said for that. So, but go ahead. You can answer that other question that we had. <laughs> <laughs> so about the pants, we, when I started this, we went into the design process with about 10 designs that I had sketched and, and briefed out saying like, this is what they, you know, material that I'm kind of thinking about. This is the use case kind of features. And starting with, we had a you know, jacket, a fleece, sweatshirt. Button down shirt, both short sleeve and long sleeve, base layer, pants, overalls, actually, and like mm -hmm. a, like a, almost a canvas jacket, all these things. And, uh, and we decided to green light for products to, to go into development with. 
And uh, one of those was a pair of pants. The other one, another one was this fleece that we made called the high wool fleece. And by the time it came to like the window where we needed to launch, because I didn't have just an unlimited timeline, you just go into R&D forever and make it perfect. You know, you have to get out there. The fleece and the pants were ready. And the pants weren't the focus of our initial launch. They were something that I just kind of made on the side for me because I'm a fairly thin, you know, athletic guy. And the outdoor industry is not very known for having well-fitting clothing in general, and especially not well-fitting pants. They're just baggy and they don't look good on, on someone like me. And so I wanted to make a pair of pants that were tough and multi-use and you know all the things that I wanted that actually fit me. So we did. I had the opportunity to do that, making clothing. So I made those pants kind of alongside these other products. And we were really launched with focusing on the fleece, the high wool fleece, which we're phasing out now. It's, it's a good product. It's a really breathable, active fleece that has anti-odor properties, all the kind of bells and whistles that I was missing or wanting, but you know, conveniently laid out without a lot of the extra stuff that I didn't need or most people didn't need. So we launched a Kickstarter with called forget exactly what we named it, it just lives in designs. I and mean, here's the high wool fleece and the flex canvas pants. And the whole first part of the campaign was the high wool fleece. Most of our ad you know, marketing material, our creative, our graphic designs and everything were devoted to the fleece. But at the end of it, we were like, and here's the pants. And here's these, you know, we made these too. Turns out in that initial campaign, we outsold pants to fleeces. I think it was two to one. It's been, I've slept since then, but it may have been three to one. I think it was two to one in that initial campaign. They were cheaper too. They're half the price, which helps. But, and then what was really illuminating to me was after the campaign, we sold out of pants. We had made extra, we sold out of pants in a matter of weeks and we actually had fleeces in stock. And during that time, after we'd sold out of pants, we were still outselling pants to fleeces. I think it was three to one. Once again, I used to have all these pulled, but is it three to one or four to one after we were even out of stock at pants? People were buying them out of stock for pre-sale for like six months later before they would buy the fleece. And so that just told me from a market perspective, you know, the way the world has enough fleeces, maybe our customers have enough fleeces, but there's something that we hit on with these pants that people are really into. And we got, it wasn't just the sales data, it was just anecdotal and, and ad hoc emails and messages on social media to me saying, Hey, I love these pants. And, and really when you, when people really like a product, they don't usually just tell you how much they love it. They tell you what you could do to make it better. Because <laughs> they're like, I love these pants, but you know, it'd be perfect if you did this. And so we got a lot of that. And after just so much of that and turning those into some actual reviews on our website by you know, investing in a review platform and sending it out, trying to get the positive feedback in there, which, which happened, we launched kind of a more formal feedback campaign asking for feedback results, people had what we could do to make it better, and then implemented the, not all of them, but you know, the ones that got a lot of uh, uh, favor and things that obviously that I thought were useful. And we made those edits to the pants and launched another Kickstarter campaign at that point for the updated pants. We launched the same product again. And there was some necessity out of that too. It wasn't just like, we just want to do this. Like that's what we had ready. We weren't fully funded. We weren't like on a, a cash cycle that made sense for the company to just keep on going and developing new stuff. Like we needed to work what we had and end up working really well. In that second campaign opened a lot of doors. They could legitimize us to some of our customers. We made a lot more pants that time we were able to. So we were able to go on to direct sales. And then since then, you know, the, the good customer reviews have been piling up. But then, you know, industry, I started meeting people at trade shows like out, outside magazine people, some of the review editors there. Gear Junkie met the founder and some of the people at another trade show and just was, was handing out pants. Like, here, look, this is what we make. Try them out. And then, you know, lo and behold, they really liked them. And they ended up being the pants that all those guys were actually wearing when they were testing all this other stuff that came into the door. Like, I think, I don't know if this is true or not, but someone told me that outside, you know, that those review publications, those magazines get like a hundred products a day, you know, to test, oh, sure. right? And yeah. we were the, we were the ones they were making. So anyway, I'm kind of going on, but it just has become apparent that people really like the pants we make 
And now we're not just focusing on that one pant, but we are keeping ourselves within that category, which is basically below the waist. Like we have a niche now. We have an area of expertise. And so we're doing women's pants. We're doing a technical version, like a quick dry, more stretchy version of the ones we make now that aren't no cotton content. And we're making shorts. So we're just basically branching out from what we know. Yeah. And a lot of that is based on our, you know, this philosophy of the brand, which is to not just make a bunch of clutter and waste, not just create a bunch of things for the sake of creating it, but create it because there's a need for it. And, you know, the market said there's a need. So, well, and I love that. And, you know, it's so funny. You, you bring up so, I have so many different thoughts and so many directions I want to go based on what you shared because I don't know about you, but I know that I am a creature of habit when it comes to clothes and I like clothes. You know, I mean, I have nice clothes, but. I always find myself going back to the same thing that is most comfortable and most familiar for me, especially when it comes to pants. And I don't know how you feel about that, but you know, if I can figure out a way to do it, I'll wear the same stuff over and over again. And when I find a good pair of pants, everything else be damned because I don't even, it doesn't even see the light of day. And I'm just constantly in my rotation of wearing things. And so I can see where that would be the case with these pants and the, like I had gotten a chance to read a ton of the reviews and I usually geek out on reviews because I always like the, I always like the social proof before I buy something. And I think Mm -hmm. that's important. And I mean, I, I read, I mean, everybody, I mean, you're right. A lot of people had like, Hey, could you do this or could you do that? But I mean, overall, the overarching line that I saw was that people just liked the quality of the pants, that they fit right. There wasn't a bunch of bunching or anything like that. And they were just very comfortable to put on. You could kind of dress them up a little bit. You could dress them down. And they they really worked for all intents and purposes. So I applaud you for that because that's not an easy feat. And, and I also applaud you for staying in that lane and not, you know, saying, okay, well, we've done that. Let's keep go back out and let's do a whole line of t-shirts and a whole line of this or a whole line of that. Because sometimes I think with clothing stores, they just becomes too many options. And I don't know about you, but I, I mean, too many options is not good for me in terms of my decision-making process. So, <laughs> The process to get to that state, and obviously pants won't fit everybody. Someone's going to have nitpick something. But the process to get to that, like you said, no extra fabric. They just fit well. There's nothing that's kind of in the way that glares at you. Like these, this, these would be great except for this. Is not like you don't just arrive at that. And that's something that was easy for us. I think at this point, we're probably up to 20 or more revisions on that pant. Wow. Now we're on our third production run, but in between each one, like the first, to get to that first one, we probably went through six or seven. We've probably gone through about the same between each production run of small refinements. And it's, it's our factory sometimes doesn't appreciate this, but we're making, you know, quarter inch adjustments to small, you know, elements like the hip width, the front rise or back rise, the spacing of the belt loops, just small little things that. Just because we see, I, I see, I wear them every day. I see people wearing them every day and I kind of critique like when my friends are wearing, I'm like, oh, that, that pocket's a little bit too flared, right? So like they're making these small adjustments and it takes a while to get there. So I get, I take a lot of pride in that. And I don't think people see the the back end of making a product like that. And, and it's also one of the things that you get to do when you don't have dozens of products. Right. Yeah, it'd be hard to, to refine like we do if we had, you know, 36 SKUs or, you know, something basically the more traditional apparel company route. So yeah, it's been fun to develop. And and that's why we're we're developing more products now, but we're staying in the lane that we've learned so we can apply a lot of what we've learned to them before we move out again. And you'll see us test again here in the next year or two with other pieces. But, you know, right now we're looking to dig in. Yeah, no, I hear you. Well, if you ever need a crash test dummy, I'm going to throw my hand up and say I'm available. So uh, (laughs) I get out there. But so tell, uh, I'd love for you to share with the audience the name. I know the name is unique and it actually has a meaning. So 
would you, in addition to just lives in, as you say it, you just think, oh, this is something that you live in, right? And it's just something that you just, that you use all the time. But could you share a little bit about the origination of the name and how you came about it and what the name, what it actually means? Sure. The lives in thing was kind of a, a happy accident. Actually, it's not where it came from. The actual, and in the sense of like, he lives in that shirt, but the actual name is derived from the Swedish word and, you know, it's hard to pronounce in English correctly and make it sound right, but it's, you know, kind of phonetically, it's, it's lives in Jutare. It's pronounced more like lives in Jutare in, uh, in Swedish, but either way, it means one who lives life fully and, you know, someone who lives life to the extreme. I guess there's a French counterpart called bon vivant, you know, I'm not sure there's an English one. That's actually how I found the word was looking for European language words that did not have an English counterpart. So I figured that was a good place to start looking for unique words and, and, I don't know if a lot of your listeners have gone through this, but naming a brand and naming products for that matter is probably the hardest part of yeah. any of doing this. Like it's you find something you love and it's taken like ten times over and everything's trademarked, you know, and then you have to keep moving down the list. And and when I found this word lives in Utare, I saw that root, and it's really not the root, but it's the the first part of the word lives in. And I really liked it. I liked the way it rolled off the tongue. I liked the, it was five letters. I liked that it was symmetrical and I kind of sketched out. You can see the logo in my background. I know your listeners can't, but it's um, the L and the N kind of make a, a, a symmetrical design on the end, the V's in the middle. And then I was, I was rolling around my tongue and I was like, oh, wow, he lives in, like he lives in those, you know, lives in his clothing and oh, wow, lives in, you know, like that guy lives his in life or something, you know, and all this stuff. And I was like, okay. And so I did a trademark search in like a social media search and it wasn't, you know, nothing. I was like, cause it's a nonsense word. I was like, this is perfect. So I just went ahead and got it all right then and started out. It just, you know, when the stars align that many times, you kind of have to run with it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You have to. I mean, you were even able to get the website too, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So looking here, yeah, you've got, well, what's livesondesigns.com? Actually, that's the one that I got for free at the beginning because livesand.com was actually taken, oddly enough. Oh, um, okay. I ended up, I have since gotten an auction and bought it. Um, oh, nice. So instead, instead of changing all the website to livesand.com, you just go there, it redirects to livesanddesigns.com. But I now we own our, own our domain. <laughs> Your domain. That's is, huge. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. It's nothing like having a nice top level domain that, that identifies with the business like that. So no, I love that. That's a, that's a great story. Right. So where, I mean, where are you guys headed next with, with what you're doing? It sounds like you, you are kind of in the throes. I mean, what, what has, I guess before I ask you, yeah, well, where are you headed next? But with everything that's going on with the pandemic, how are you guys managing that? And how has that, has it affected you any? Because at, at the time of our recording of this, we are still many months into the global pandemic of COVID-19. We're recording this the last day of the, the month of August of 2020. So I'd be curious to know, how has this affected you? And what are you, what are you guys, are you doing anything differently because of the pandemic? Yeah, it's, it's obviously had an effect. It's actually, I think, been a, probably a negative. I mean, I'm sorry, a positive effect for our business more than anything. Um, not by design, but just by the way the cookies crumbled on building this business. We've just been built the way that a lot of companies are trying to position to now. You know, Low overhead, low payroll, because it's mostly me doing it with some part-time and, and a lot of outsourced help. Digitally native, fully online. So all of our sales are online. Our inventory and fulfillment is done by a third-party logistics company. right? So we didn't have our own employees and, and warehouse to run. And we didn't have a big retail exposure. So we didn't have, we don't have our own stores. We don't have, you know, a bunch of brick and mortar accounts. So as far as the initial effects of the pandemic on an economic sense, it was good for us. We actually, you know, online sales jumped like crazy, really fast. 
um, the world's kind of shifting online and we were already there. That plus people's interest in the outdoors has skyrocketed. It's not just interest, it's, it's kind of one of the only things you you know, socially acceptably allowed to do is, is, you know, go out for a hike, go out with your family and, and go camping or, you know, spend time outside. And, and so we had a product or have a product that facilitates people going outside, which is, so we're, you know, all these things by no design, no like foresight just kind of happened for us. And, and so we actually, we thought we had pants, you know, clear through the end of August or September as far as inventory. And we ended up selling out before June. Mm. So we just, you know, it it was cool. It's been kind of a bummer to be out of stock for July, you know, June, July. It's not fun to look at that, but we're, we're making more. We have more coming in like two weeks. So it's getting better. But yeah, I mean, it's been interesting. Now it has affected us in the sense that one, like our restock is a month late because of supply chain disruptions in Asia. We're made in Vietnam. We are bringing on wholesale partners and we're actually fulfilling to the orders we, we wrote this spring to retailers. I'm here when that inventory comes in in a couple of weeks. Right. And so, so we haven't had any canceled orders you know, from those retailers, but spring, summer, so our sales season for next year that our reps, you know, are out in the field trying to, you know, write preseason orders for us for next season, basically disappeared as a sales season. Like reps weren't making calls, trade shows are canceled. You know, it's all the, all the business activity that typically happens to facilitate that kind of business model uh, just kind of stopped. It moved digital. It's all coming back online now in a digital way. So anyway, we were adapting to that. We saved a lot of money not going to a retailer trade show in June. So that's kind of a good thing, I guess. Yeah. It was a big risk. So now we're, we pushed those plans back and we're concentrating on direct to consumer, but we're also building uh, much more digital tools for our wholesale side, as opposed to relying on knocking on retailer doors and making house calls. Well, and so with that said, besides going on the website and ordering the pants, where can people here in Northwest Arkansas find them? Currently just online. So just we haven't fulfilled any okay. retailers yet. Um, so you have that no should, Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, we don't. Yeah. You don't. Are you in communication with any right now? I mean, like, could I eventually maybe go into Lewis and Clark and maybe potentially find them? Or is that is that even on your radar as far as that's concerned? No, it is. Uh, actually, so, you know, Gearhead, Packrat, Lewis and Clark, those are all all areas where, you you know, you, you would be likely to find lives in here in the next uh, few months. Okay. Okay. Well, that's good. Yeah. Because I think once people see these pants... And, you know, especially our listeners, when they go to the website and visit, they're going to, you know, they're going to want to, you know, some people, are, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of an instant gratification guy. If I see something, sometimes if I'm like, man, if I can get it quicker, physically going into a store, I actually will still do that. I know that's right. Harris, but, you know, there is something to be said, but, but nowadays you can get stuff within a day or two anyway online. So, right. The in-store part of it is an important part of the buying process for sure. I mean, we, we do apparel and we make pants and a big part of pants is how they fit. So obviously we get a lot of people that shop online and they're happy the first time, but we definitely do some exchanges for people. We get people buying one or two or three sizes and send them back the others. But uh, that's, you know, that's, that's one of the, the reasons why physical retail is just not going to go away, especially for apparel. You know, people are going to want to go and touch feel things and, and especially outdoor apparel and outdoor gear in general, there's, there's good stores that do it well and have knowledgeable staff and that's who we're selling to are the ones that, you know, still do it right, deliver an experience you can't get online, touch a lot of people touch feel the products and have good customer service to support it. And it's a big part of our of our model and plan alongside online is to have that kind of strategic retail presence to give ourselves a physical footprint in stores in an industry where you you know, I think it's better to have that. Maybe not go full blown wholesale, but it's good to have that. No, no, you're absolutely right. There is a benefit to that. And I, I know I've I've been guilty of going out and kind of testing and touching things before I actually 
physically buy them. And then I may still end up going online and purchasing them. So, sure. uh, which is kind of crazy, but it's the way things are nowadays. So we're in a different day and time when it comes to, you know, our consumer buying habits online. So it's a uh, much more evolved and it's only going to continue to grow. So, so, so you decided to stay here in Northwest Arkansas. What, if you were talking to somebody that's not from this area, why, what would you make your claim for why this is a special place? Because you did mention some other cool places that you could have gone. I mean, I, I have some friends that live up in, in, in Boulder, Colorado. I actually lived out in Berkeley, California for a long time. So I really love it out there. But uh, and Austin's not a bad place, although the traffic is murder. But what makes Northwest Arkansas so special? It's hard to pinpoint any one thing. You know, for me, I can speak to it from my personal point of view more probably better than broadly. But, you know, personally, I like the size. And I'm not saying that it's going to be terrible if it grows because it is growing and I think that's going to be fine. But, you know, in a, in a even in a market or a city like Austin, there's a lot of people. And if you're not, if you're someone that loves the outdoors, you know, it's not like there is no outdoors access there. There's places to go, but, but they're crowded. I mean, it's not no one can really do anything about it. You just get a certain amount of people in a small amount of areas, especially if they have aligned interests and they're going to swamp the good places. And that, that has, it's true for restaurants. That's true for theaters. It's true for, you know, hiking trails and swimming pools, you know, or swimming holes. And so, you know, Arkansas still is, and probably considered will be for a long time compared to a lot of those bigger markets, a pretty reasonable size and, and fairly spread out when it comes to Northwest Arkansas. So, you know, Arkansas, Springdale, Rogers, Bentonville, and there's places to go and there's lots of access to the outdoors and, you know, you can get around. There is traffic at certain times of day, but it's not that bad. You know, like it's just not, not as crowded. Um, so when you when you kind of combine the population count and the density of people with the access to amenities that are outsized for a population center of this size, right? So we've got really good shopping. We've got great nightlife. We've got what legitimately world class museums, legitimately world class theater venues, concert venues. You know, you've food, dining, right? And a lot of this is, is no, by no accident. It's it's regionally supported, you know, by the biggest companies in the area to bring people here to work here. But, you know, if you're not working for a Walmart Tyson or JB Hunt and you just happen to live here, you get to take advantage of all this great <laughs> infrastructure yeah. that's built as part of strategic focuses to support those businesses. And and so you kind of you bring in, you know, low population, you know, really great amenities. And then what really is it for me is the outdoors. So those are mountains. They're not as grand in the sense of like height, right? Or elevation as the Rockies or even the Appalachians, but there's something special about it. You know, when you get kind of deep in there, they're rugged. You know, you get that rugged, you can get lost in the back country. I mean, not hopefully not terribly lost, right? But you can kind of right. wander around. There's enough public land to stretch your legs. There's there's beautiful rivers. There's great climbing. There's good boating. There's, I mean, and then I haven't even mentioned mountain biking, which is the main thing to do. And so we shouldn't ignore that, right? Like I love to mountain bike <laughs> and there's just a, you can't go three weeks away from your favorite trail system without a new trail being there when you get back. And so that's just kind of like being spoiled for choice and, you know, excellent mountain biking and, and all this stuff. So that, that's been a big uh, factor that's, that's really increased my desire to stay is just to keep experiencing all the great mountain biking that, that keeps popping up, including what's already here. Yeah. Now, are you, were you, I mean, you, cause like you said, you've been around here for a long time. I mean, obviously it wasn't necessarily the mountain bike destination that it is now, but I mean, I know people that are actually traveling here to Northwest Arkansas to just ride the trails, whether it's Slaughter Pen, whether whether it's what is it, the Sugar, mm-hmm. Big Little uh, Sugar, yeah, Little Sugar. Uh, there's a few out there, and I'm I'm actually I, I I'm more of a road bike guy myself, and I tend to ride the Greenway quite a bit, and 
getting more into gravel riding, but uh, I mean, mountain mm-hmm. biking is on a whole nother level here. I mean, it's just, you ride around Bentonville on a Saturday and it's, they're just mountain bike. There's mountain bikers everywhere, riding the trails, riding through the city. Every coffee house has a bunch of mountain bike, mountain bikes just sitting on each other as people grab their cappuccino espresso before they head back out for their afternoon run. So, I mean, did you ever imagine it was going to be like this? No, not at all. Actually, it, it's been really cool to see. I mean, at, growing up here, I mountain biked. Let's see. You know, I had a BMX bike when I was really little and kids bikes, but I my first mountain bike, I was probably 10 or, or younger, you know, a fully rigid mountain bike. And my family would take a, a yearly trip every summer to Keystone, Colorado. Mm-hmm. My whole dad's side, all the cousins and everything like that. And we'd stay there and we'd mountain bike. That was our sport. So we'd all go rent mountain bikes and take the chair lift up and ride down. And back then, like we were renting bikes with like one inch of travel. And like, it was just, it's kind of scary to think about the bikes you're riding down that mountain, but Either way, I'd, I'd go ride out there and then that would give me the bug and I'd get a, you know another mountain bike and I'd come back here and I'd ride basically Devil's Den, which was really one of the only places to ride back then. And, and then I think maybe like, you know, I rode around the hiking trails on Mount Sequoia before they really had mountain bike infrastructure and, and stuff like that around Fayetteville and, and just ne- never really was would consider myself a mountain biker or because there wasn't enough trail to ride. Right? Right. There wasn't like a culture around it. And so we'd still go out out west and, and go ride in Colorado and I'd get a bike and come back and I wouldn't ride very much. And then let's see, I was in college. I mean, I don't know exactly when they built slaughter pen. We could probably look it up, but it was somewhere in the early 2000s, mid 2000s. And I came up here for college and we heard about slaughter pen and they, you know, went and rode it and it was awesome. We're like, holy, you know, this is really great. There's actually mountain bike trails. And then, you know, it seems like maybe there was some small developments, you know, five years later, it started to really pick up steam. And just in the last five years, it's just been incredible. And I guess yeah. it's been more than five years, but really the last five years have just been just this incredible boom of mountain biking and not just in Bentonville. Like I ride, I've ridden more this year than I have in the past couple of years. And I've honestly only been to Bentonville twice all year long. Yeah. Um, so I've been going to, you know, Mount Kessler, down in Fayetteville, Fitzgerald and Springdale, uh, Lake Weddington, the new trails at Centennial Park in Fayetteville. They're not just building, you know, Bentonville, they're building, you know, kind of everywhere. And we've done a Russellville and rode Mount Nebo and that's, you know, part of the same effort. Right. So, right. It's right. pretty cool. So anyway, to answer your question, no, I didn't see it coming, but I'm extremely glad that it's here. <laughs> no, I and I, I can appreciate that. And like I said, when I first moved here, I actually bought a mountain bike, but then I got a road bike and it's it's a long story. But I can really appreciate what they have done to this area. And a lot of my friends that are big outdoors people, that's all they ever ask me about. What, you know, what are the trails like? And, you know, I got to come visit you so I can go ride. And so, I mean, that's I think that's really cool. And I think that's, you know, again, something that people don't realize when they think of Northwest Arkansas, that we are such a big, I mean, we, it's just a big biking community period. So there's, it's a culture, it's a culture here, which is a lot of fun. There's something that's happened in the, even the last two years that I've been building lives in is at the very beginning, because I work with people, most people I work with professionally are out West somewhere, you know, in some kind of beautiful area of the Rockies or the, or the Pacific Northwest. And or Northern California. And at first they're like, yeah, Arkansas, I drove through there once visiting my grandma in you know, Nashville. Or now it's more like, oh, Arkansas, I was going to come there with some of my buddies were going to rent a van and go mountain bike. You know, like I hear that a lot now and it's not just right. like a small amount. It's, it happens all the time, which is, it's really cool. It kind of helps legitimize us from where we are from that point of view, kind of get less eyebrow raised and more like, okay, I kind of understand why you're there from the industry at large. And anyway, I do want to say something in case someone from the city of Fayetteville is listening because it's a big thing that's been on my mind is, you know, you mentioned in Bentonville how people are at the coffee shops on their bikes. There's mountain bikes everywhere. There's people riding mountain bikes. They're riding mountain bikes straight from downtown onto the trails. And that's the one thing that 
you know, it's hard and being living down in Fayetteville that we get kind of envious of our northern uh, brothers and sisters up there is that I got to get in my car pretty much to go to a mountain bike trail from my house. Now I could, yeah. there are yeah. trails, but I'm going to ride, you know, five, 10 miles to get there, if not more, right. potentially on some, on some public streets. I wish that uh, the leadership of Fayetteville, or Fayetteville, see, it's, it's like, it's naturally <laughs> ingrained in my okay. head. The leadership of Fayetteville would, uh, would start stimulating some, uh, some urban access mountain bike trails so that we could do the, uh, do the thing where you can leave from downtown by the square and get on some dirt that fast. And I know there's, there's small efforts towards that, but it'd be really yeah. cool if we could, we could bring it into the city center. Absolutely. Well, I'm sure Bike NWA and others have been um, grabbing the ear of Mayor Jordan and other in the um, city councilors to talk about that. And and I'm sure the more the more that people shake things up, and maybe we'll have to you know sick some of the Walton the Walton grandkids on them and and uh, encourage them to do some some more development down here, and we'll see what happens. So anything's possible. Anything's possible. Any final words that you'd like to share with the audience before we uh, sign off? You know, I'd be remiss to not kind of plug our upcoming Kickstarter campaign, if that's okay. Oh, please. And we, we will make sure when, when the campaign actually kicks off, no pun intended, <laughs> we, we, will, um, we will be sure to put that in the show notes so people can access that even if they're listening to it later. But uh, yeah, please uh, plug away. Cool. Yeah. So it, oddly, it may actually end up being an Indiegogo campaign this time. But either way, we're doing another crowdfunding campaign for our newest or really only a new product we've released in a long time. And it's that second pair of pants that I was telling you about that builds on the success of the Flex Canvas. They're called the EcoTrek pants. And it's a recycled nylon spandex blend. And uh, I'm really happy that the nylon is actually sourced from recycled ocean waste, specifically fishing buoys. So they've been recovered from the ocean, uh, remanufactured into a, into a really great fabric that is just really stretchy, really lightweight, moisture wicking, sweat wicking, moisture resistant. You can spill water on it, spill your coffee on it. It's just going to fall right off. Quick drying using basically the same fit and features as our Flex Canvas pants, but adding some trail specific stuff like an internal waistband, drawstring, and some bigger pocket bigger pocket for your phone on the leg. Anyway, the point is they're really great. And uh, they're called the EcoTrek pants and we will be launching them on Kickstarter in October. That's the plan. Okay. So we're kind of out there. We're still doing pre-launch marketing, but uh, it'll be our third campaign. We're looking to you know show growth on that and launch a new product for the first time in a while. And we're pretty happy about it. I'm actually really stoked on the product itself. And a lot of those, those media that we made a relationship with for our flex canvas pants have the, the early version of the eco Trek pants and the feedback has been really good too. So we're excited to see what the kind of industry at large thinks about them. Oh, well, good, good, good. Well, I, I love that. I, well, I know that somebody has, is sending me a pair of pants. So I, I will be sure to, to talk about them and, chat them up on social media just to uh, to let people know what I think about them. Not that they care, but um, I will certainly be sure to put a good word in. And definitely, if you can keep me posted on when you kick off with uh, the next Kickstarter for October, we'll be sure to publicize it and also share it with our audience. So, you know, I'll make a, a separate announcement in addition to putting it in the show notes. But if somebody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to connect with you right now? With the brand, the best thing to do would be to get on Instagram, honestly, and send us a message. So we're at Lives and Designs. With me, I answer the info at livesanddesigns.com email address. So you can always email that and it'll come to me. If you're a customer and you received the wrong size or you need an exchange, okay. <laughs> you can reach out reach out to us to customer service at livesanddesigns.com. Okay. Anyway, just joking. Right. But yeah, Instagram or, uh, or send an email over to info at livesanddesigns.com. You'll get me, probably. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. I mean, that's the life of an entrepreneur, right? You're always available to your customer. So right. uh, yeah, no, that's perfect. Well, man, Andrew, thank you so much 
for taking time to connect with our audience here at I Am Northwest Arkansas today. We really, really appreciate it. And we appreciate you sharing your story. We wish you nothing but success. And uh, we hope that you get to a place, man, where you're able to employ a bunch of people in this area and really continue to build quality products that people enjoy wearing in the great outdoors. So thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right. Cool. Well, folks, there you have it. Another episode of I Am Northwest Arkansas. It was so great to get Andrew Dabney on on the episode today to talk about lives in. And I think that you're going to really like these pants. I'm going to make sure that we put all this information in the show notes so that you guys can access it, find out more about it. And uh, if you do get the pants and you really like them, please let us know. Let Andrew know, let his team know and uh, give him that necessary feedback so they can continue to improve that this product and so many others that they're in the process of working on. So we appreciate you guys listening to the podcast as always. Remember, we come out every Monday, new episode comes out. So we, we look forward to continuing to bring you the intersection of business, culture, entrepreneurship, and life here in the Ozarks. That's all I have for you this week. Remember, you can find this podcast wherever great podcasts can be found. You can rate or review the podcast. Let us know what you think, what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong. And just continue to stay in contact with us on a regular basis. And uh, if you have ideas about people that like Andrew that you'd like to hear on the podcast, let us know. Give us a shout out. Shoot us an email at hello at IamNorthwestArkansas.com. And you never know. You might be surprised that a future guest may be one of those individuals that you recommended to us. That's all I have for you this week. I will see you soon. Peace. We hope you enjoyed this episode of I Am Northwest Arkansas. Check us out each and every week, available anywhere that great podcasts can be found. For show notes or more information on becoming a guest, visit IamNorthwestArkansas.com. We'll see you next week on I Am Northwest Arkansas.